Hi everyone and welcome to the first episode of the 2040 podcast where you will hear 20 years of career experiments in 20 minutes from people who have built successful careers. I'm your host Arvind and today I'm very excited to welcome our first guest Rajiv Srivatsa who is a founder entrepreneur product leader and most recently a VC and personally for me Rajiv is a great friend colleague and inspiration welcome Rajiv thanks Arvind all right now many of you who are listening you may be wondering how are we going to pack Rajiv's range of experience into a short conversation we'll divide our time into two parts the first part we'll try to get a feel for the different phases of Rajiv's career and the second part we'll focus on the lessons he learned from these career pivots and recommendations he has to improve them and with that let's get started rajiv what would you say are the main phases of your career now this could be within a company or could span across companies any way you define it sure so you know i think uh, just like any other stereotypical indian this was 20 years back uh, and you and i fall into that same bucket uh, i started my life uh, as an engineer finished engineering at iit madras and uh, maybe quickly i'll sort of dive into the different experiences and then maybe get deeper into one specific right just so that that gives a context so my first stint for two years started with infosys right after iit where i was a software engineer i was a bit of a nerd and i think that role fitted me well then i went did my mba which again was a two year course and i am bangalore and uh, immediately for me was to say hey if i just knew coding what can i add that on to and can i get into product right so then i went into cognizant because in 2004 the internet and internet companies in india were not big enough so cognizant on the enterprise side taught me a lot i learned a lot uh, but four years into cognizant i realized that really the internet uh, is where my heart was I had developed a lot of websites even in the Infosys days, and in I am Bangalore. So 2008, I joined joined Yahoo, and uh, 2008 to 2012, I was in Yahoo learning product management, learning the internet in India. Uh, once that happened, I think the Indian startup ecosystem was becoming big for me. The next de facto move was probably to get into a startup, but I think I sort of bucked the trend, and instead of joining a startup and then getting into doing my own startup, I just directly did my own startup. So for the next seven years, I would say, twenty uh, twelve to twenty nineteen, I was uh, uh, co-founder and uh, we created Urban Ladder, and uh, of course can get into each of these different experiences. And now, after being a founder in twenty twenty, I've just become uh, a newly minted VC uh, because I've understood the founder journey and figured that hey, maybe there is some value there that I can add. So these are the different experiences, and I'm absolutely happy to get. Uh, into the thought process of movement from one to another as well as uh, you know going in depth into any one of it great thanks for sharing so i i i heard a few things from you right and obviously you've had uh, quite a few phases in your journey but is it fair to say as we think about uh, you know giving some color and describing what your typical week would be in each of these would it be fair to pick maybe four of those uh, you know i think your experience as a software engineer your experience as a product manager as a founder and then a vc would those four be a reasonable you know group to expand on further sure 
I can do that. So the first one, you know, if I start off as a software engineer, I think it was pretty straightforward, right? Most of my time went into, uh, you know, understanding requirements and just coding. We used to code, uh, I think at that time, my first project was actually on Smalltalk. It was scrapped, but uh, then we started coding in, coding in Java and uh, pretty much uh, my entire week was just in front of the computer sitting and we've had months where it, you know, we used to code literally from eight in the morning till 12 in the night. And because, you know, we had certain client deliverables and uh, this was the time, of course, this was 20 years back and uh, we just would uh, try and have some sessions where we would understand the use cases and even as very fresh engineers, Infosys uh, gave me an opportunity to, to write use cases. And that's also the time when I started understanding what product management is, right? Because uh, a lot of PRD writing is about uh, writing use cases. And that really fascinated me, writing great use cases, because that pretty much determined uh, the quality of the code. Then went into understanding user requirements. So that was also the time when as a fresh software engineer, you know, you had a lot of senior people there, but really trying to understand as to what the client requirements were. And we were working for some of the biggest clients like Boeing and Freecom at that time for Infosys and really trying to understand from the client's perspective as to why a particular thing is important, right? So really get into the nub of what the business need for something was. And that really fascinated me beyond just writing lines of code. Of course, I was a, a quite a nerd at that time. So I used to write, love writing lines of code also. But uh, really understanding the business behind writing those lines of code for me was a big fascination. So a lot of my Infosys time just probably went into just coding, right? And uh, that was the first one. Then I went and got my MBA, as I said. And uh, that was for me to understand a bit more of what that business behind the code is, right? And immediately after I started life in Cognizant, the four years, of course, I did a variety of roles in Cognizant. Uh, but if I were to broadly look at, uh, you know, the two big aspects of what I did, one was being part of a project where I was handling requirements and I was handling client requirements. This was for a Mitsubishi uh, manufacturing plant. And uh, there my job was to, again, understand clients requirement, but be the front face of understanding clients requirements. So I spent two, two months in uh, Greenville in South Carolina, just understood, understanding what the client requirements were, and then came back and worked with the team over the next year, year and a half to develop uh, a software that would replace their manufacturing line system, right? And that was a great experience because, you know, you could absolutely understand as to what, where the client was coming from, but then also translate and get it done into code, the end-to-end -end of that process, right? And it's a big team, you know, it was 70, 75 people uh, waiting to understand requirements and then go through the testing process. There, of course, my entire role was pretty much to be the translator between client requirements and code. Then the other part of what I did with Cognizant was also doing, uh, uh, you know, what I would call business development or client management. And in that process, it would be about putting together solutions for the client. And I have done that where I've been in Chennai doing it for clients uh, who would come and visit and trying to convert clients, some of the biggest clients for Cognizant at that time in the manufacturing and logistics vertical. The other part of it, I was also for a year in Switzerland. Uh, trying to do that, uh, you know, for clients and trying to win clients in Switzerland for Cognizant. And both of those experiences at least made me realize what it means to win clients in terms of just understanding the requirements, but also client management and making sure that how you do client management. And somewhere there, I also realized what my strength was and where I really sucked at or what I did not like doing, right? Which was 
uh, I was far more, uh, uh, you know, uh, someone that liked building systems and developing systems, far less someone who liked converting clients and doing sales and stuff, right? So that made me also realize that, hey, maybe really building products, building systems, but maybe for the end user, right? Not for enterprises, but for the end user is where my heart was, right? So right after that, I shifted to Yahoo and moved back to Bangalore in India. And during my Yahoo product days, uh, I think my role sort of became slightly different when I was a product manager writing PRDs versus managing a team. I think the role was slightly different. When I was building products individually, my role was just really going back to uh, you know, writing PRDs, which is product requirement definition documents, uh, again, sitting with users and understanding. And now the difference between, of course, a pro yeah, building product at Yahoo and building product at Cognizant was in Cognizant, there was a clear client who would give you the requirements. Here in Yahoo, when you're building, let's say I was building Cricket, Yahoo Cricket, uh, the first version of Yahoo Cricket, uh, the first version of Yahoo India Education, the first version of Yahoo India Celebrities, the clients are millions of people. So you can't obviously go and listen to the client and then just translate the requirements, right? You have to have a particular view on what makes sense for the product. You have a clear product strategy. You have a particular vision in terms of what you need to do. You also have a particular set of metrics in terms of advertising revenues, in terms of content page views that you have to go after. So your clients or what and who you need to talk to become a lot more. So as a product manager, at least in Yahoo, probably 40-50% of my time would go into actually writing product requirements document. But at least that other 50% of the time would go into actually doing what was required to write those product requirements document, which again fell into three broad buckets. One is to sit with engineering, sit and understand what are the feasibility, go through the sprint cycle. You know, it was a two week build cycle for features, sit with engineering and make sure their requirement, you know, uh, their doubts were clarified, sit with uh, user acceptance testing, make sure that the QA team's doubts were clarified. Uh, and so do that whole hop. Two is sit with all the different stakeholders, which would be content, advertising, marketing, and there were so many different stakeholders for a product like Yahoo Cricket. You also had content. You also had to sell advertising. You also had business development team, which would work with ICC, the International Cricket Council, to make sure that their requirements were satisfied. So we had a lot of different stakeholders that I had to uh, you know, interact with business, you know, legal, to make sure that we were within the legal limits. Uh, so uh, a good second part of that external interface would be with interacting with all of these teams. And the last part, of course, you know, last but not the least, the customer themselves, right? The end customer of the product. So we would do a lot of user research. We would look at a lot of data, make sure that what we were doing was being used by customers in the right way and understanding insights of what the customer needed, right? So the other 50% would go into these three buckets. And that was a lot of fun because, you know, uh, this really was the kind of stuff that I wanted to do uh, in the internet world. And I learned a lot. Once I became more of a, a senior product person with uh, more people working with me, it was also about managing careers of those product managers, uh, making sure that I spend time figuring out the product strategy of the entire uh, division that I was managing, and also making sure that there was alignment with, uh, and Yahoo was a matrix organization, so there was alignment with, let's say, the Yahoo uh, mothership, or which was you know, Yahoo USA, or the business line, which was Yahoo India, right? So as you evolve as a product person and become, let's say, director products or a VP product, 
I think the kind of stuff that you do on your day-to-day and your weekly uh, becomes slightly different. You spend more time coaching people. You spend more time evangelizing. You spend more time figuring out what's the new stuff that you can do, right? And that became uh, sort of the evolution of the product role within Yahoo. Once I uh, became a founder and at Urban Ladder... So one, one uh, just one, the, sorry to interrupt, Raji, but one thing I wanted to observe is there are some parallels between... Uh, a consulting type of a career as well as product management, right? You oftentimes mm-hmm. deal with ambiguous situations. Uh, you you know, you have to put together a structure. You have to go and build something. So I almost feel like the those two roles, there is there's a bit of similarity, right? In terms of, you know, 40% of time you do building and, you know, 20, 30% of time you, you spend doing uh, market research, uh, and then maybe the rest of the time you you spend in decision making, and of course the as you said as you become more senior those you know you shift more into decision making. Would that, would that be a fair thing? Just trying to compare those two roles and bring it together. It probably is. I've never been a consultant in my life, so uh, you know the only thing that I know is once I've been part of a team, uh, you all obviously have to take ownership of the implementation also, and probably it is to some extent even with the. Uh, big consulting companies, but I think there is just that one level disconnect in terms of what you say and what gets done. Uh, And that's something that I've never had, uh, you know, the uh, chance to sort of experience, but uh, maybe some parts of what you're saying is true. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So if I, you know, compare the last seven years and again, within Urban Ladder, uh, you know, where I've been the co-founder, my role has evolved and it's had three completely different faces, I would say, right? And in each of these different faces, the role has been very different. The first two years is where, you know, we were a small team. So we just pretty much, Ashish and me, uh, my co-founder, divided the responsibilities for the first uh, two, two and a half years where we were much less than 100 people. Um, so I used to handle technology product, uh, merchandising, marketing, brand, and uh, HR and culture. So pretty much work with these three heads and also customer service actually in the first two years. So I would almost spend, I would say maybe 40, 50% of my time on technology and product because that was critical because of my background as a product person. Then 20, 30% on marketing, which was a new thing that I was literally discovering and learning uh, to build brand urban ladder. And another 25, 30% on HR because I was always passionate about people and really building the culture and vision and values of urban ladder, right? And that would be my split of time within a week. And it was, of course, completely unpredictable in terms of the kind of stuff that I would do because suddenly we would recruit a lot of people. Suddenly, you know, some new feature would be developed. Suddenly, you know, we had to do a brand campaign. So, you know, the actual spike in every week would be based on that particular week. But it would at some level be split equally across these three aspects. And of course, customer service also at that time, right? So 20, 25% would go into handling customer escalations, you know, even talking to some of our customers to make sure that they were fine and stuff, right? As the role evolved and as the founder journey evolved, uh, between 20, so this was 2012 to 2014, then 2014 to 2016, we just became far bigger team. You know, we suddenly grew from approximately 80, 90 people to 350, 360 people. Uh, when you grow 4X as a team, you also get in a lot of senior leaders, your role as a founder, as a co-founder sort of evolves. And there my time was sort of split between, we got a senior marketing person. Uh, we also got a humongous technology team. The technology team moved from seven, eight people to around 75, 80 people. Uh, so it was a lot about focusing on technology and HR. And within 
those two years, it was really, you know, as a founder also, I was scaling up. I was making so many mistakes. I was also understanding what it means to handle a team, what it means to let go of responsibilities because you can't get senior people and try and tell them what needs to be done, right? So you're so used to it as a founder, as just a small team, uh, but then you're also developing. So I think a lot of that time also went into external interfacing in terms of understanding what different teams would do. So 20, 25% of my time would just go into external interfacing. The brand also needed me to be in the forefront of the brand along with Ashish uh, because we were getting a lot of PR and marketing and stuff. So uh, it became a bit more external interfacing, you know, spending time with the board, spending time with other companies which were scaling up, spending time with other founders and translating and getting some of that knowledge back into the team so that they could be far more efficient in what they did. Uh, it was uh, also lesser about writing product requirements document and stuff like that because we had a team of 70, 80 people. So a lot more of my time went into coaching, uh, developing people, you know, understanding potential, putting in place HR systems, putting in place product systems, making bigger decisions of build versus buy. Uh, so it was a reasonable change in terms of the role. Then the following two years, I would say, is where we were, you know, completely transforming as a company to be an omni-channel retailer, right? This was 2016 to 18, where we were trying to be far more efficient. We were, uh, you know, the technology team was reducing in size from 75 to 25, keeping morale back, you know, just understanding, communicating and over-communicating to the company why we were making a lot of the changes, right? So I would say 50, 60% of my time became far more HR during the, those two years, which was about just communicating the vision, making sure that people are aligned to the larger mission, right? Uh, 1819, of course, you know, was a bit more of a transition period personally for me because I was uh, planning to move out and figure out what I would do for the next phase of my life. And uh, so I would say that was a year where I was just really personally exploring what next, right? Uh, but 1920 is where most of that, you know, really actually happened. So I spent a lot more time out there once I moved out of Herbal Ladder to figure out what next in life. And as a VC, uh, you know, if I were right now to call what my time is, it would be very different from probably what it will be once my actual role starts, right? Today, if you were to ask me my first uh, three months at Antler, it's been about one, reconnecting with the ecosystem and trying to find the first set of investors for the fund. So at least 30, 40% of my time just goes into talking to all the different people in the ecosystem, VCs. Uh, people who have capital, wealth managers, ex-founders, to see, you know, who can be ideal partners for the Antler India Fund. Uh, I think at least 20% of my time, even on an ongoing basis, will continue to be fundraising for the fund itself. Then the next, I would say 30% of my time is to go towards finding my co-partner within the Antler India uh, setup, and also towards finding the early team. I've not yet started spending too much time, but... Uh, even on an ongoing basis, 20-25% of my time will go into working with my team uh, and making sure that we are doing all the right things. And the Antler India setup is slightly different from a traditional VC, an early stage Series A VC, because a Series A VC is usually two partners who have a, an analyst team or an associate team, and they make a lot of the investment decisions. Because Antler India setup comes at one stage even before the VC. We have a we will have a very smart, strong team of six, seven people. So team management will be a very strong component of what I will do uh, as part of my role. 
the third one, which is probably going to be the most amount of time once the program starts, is to be able to spend time with entrepreneurs, uh, recruit the right founders into the program, and make sure that founders are able to build great companies and you know work with great VCs on the follow-on, right? It's not yet started for me as part of my current role at Antler because the first program starts in January 2021. But that's going to be probably at least 40-50% of my time once the program starts. Last but not the least is just really, uh, you know, making sure that I am uh, growing, learning, making sure that I have my own mentors, advisors. I am very new to the VC world. Uh, and that's something that I've already started doing, understanding how the world works. As a founder, there's a very unique value proposition that I'm able to bring in because there are almost no Indian uh, founders from the last decade who are in VC. So there's a very specific value that I can bring in. But I also need to learn from people who have been in VC for the last decade. So I think just expanding my ecosystem, making sure that I learn the 101 of investing and making sure that I do that in a way that can help my founders uh, starting 2021 is going to be a big part of my life. So I think as I said, the percentage times are slightly different. For example, right now, I'm spending a lot of time with my legal team and uh, tax consultants to structure the fund. I think once we structure the fund and once we set that up over the next two, three months, then my time on that will probably reduce, right? So that kind of stuff that I'm doing right now in the first three, four months is slightly different from the kind of stuff that I think I'll do on an ongoing basis, but the bo broad ballpark are, uh, is exactly the same. Yeah, that's that's amazing. I mean, as I as I listen to your journey, I think uh, certainly there are a lot of logical next steps that you've built on, uh, very logical building blocks that you've added. But then also, you know, you have taken certain certain elements of risk, so you've really sort of tried to set yourself up for many ways to win. Uh, one of the things that you know, this this podcast is really designed for people who are you know, either close to graduating early in their careers or recent graduates who are sort of out in the workforce, uh, you know, one, two years, three years out. And one of the things that they they ask is, um, you know, how how can I take a risk that is, uh, that is going to set me up for success? I'm sort of fearful of taking a, a risk in my career, doing these career so-called experiments or pivots. Uh, so how can I sort of set myself up to, to win in many ways while keeping the risk low and also tailoring my uh, the, whatever step I'm taking next to what I've already done uh, to what my skill set is already. So, so that's, that's the um, sentiment behind the second part of our conversation, which is, you know, if you, if you were to imagine you are speaking to the younger Rajiv, you want the younger Rajiv to build his career effectively with many ways to win. I think you've already done quite a bit of this, right? But if you were to maybe look back and, you, you know, maybe you can pick one or two or three, whatever uh, are, some, are some good examples you want to highlight of pivots. Uh, what would you, you know, what would you recommend to your younger self in terms of specific experiments uh, this person should try? Uh, how long this person should run that experiment, the career experiment? and what they should look to learn from? That's an interesting question. It's uh, obviously easier said than done in terms of the 20 years uh, you know, career. I think if I were to think of it, one might be, you know, I think we chatted about it a bit uh, you know, during this conversation where you were asking me on the parallels between consulting and product management. I think doing some kind of a side hustle on consulting or understanding how a consultant's mind works would have, I think, given me some more exposure 
which is different from being part of a company and doing the same thing, right? I think cons- the one good thing you learn in consulting is just the foundations of, uh, you know, structuring your brain uh, in a way that there is a solution. I think I would have done some of those jobs better if I had maybe some level of grounding on uh, a consultant. Um, but having said that, I don't know, maybe, you know, that's something that would have helped me maybe, you know, just doing this one-on-one also helped me without having any biases. The other one that I probably would have done is much younger, even when the startup ecosystem was probably just about uh, growing up, was to have uh, worked on a startup even before I did my own startup, because that would have given me some more understanding of what it is, the madness inside. Uh, and maybe just coming in with 10 years of corporate experience, uh, you know, made me biased in terms of how some of the things should have run versus having at least four, five, three, four years of startup experience. And you can always do that on the side. You can always help, you know, spend 20% of your time, even if you're working in a big company because you need, uh, uh, you know, either that kind of a brand name or understanding of process. Today, working in a startup is, of course, very different compared to 10 years back where it was still seen as, oh, it's a big risk. Today, it's not at all seen as a big risk. Right? So many people, even in India, are working in startups, in up-and-coming startups, and it's actually seen as something that is an absolute part of a career. That was not the case 10 years back. So that maybe that's something that I would have done. Last but not the least, maybe just be, a f- I would say, use the word far more shameless in reaching out to mentors, uh, reaching out on LinkedIn to people and, you know, just every month or every quarter reach out to maybe 20, 30 people. And even if only two, three of them actually, uh, you know, respond to you, there is maybe an interesting conversation there and a wider network. Thanks to Urban Ladder today, I have a reasonably wide network. But before Urban Ladder, I didn't have too much of a network. And I think it's extremely possible in this very connected world that you just go cold ping some people that you respect the work that they are doing. Uh, And those opportunities really convert into something uh, awesome uh, over time. And that's something probably that I should have done when I was younger. So these are the three, you know, I don't know if that answered your question, but these are probably the three uh, things that maybe I could have done better or I would have done differently. Yeah, that's great. And if I might add one thing, uh, when you reach out to people, as you said, the hit rate might be quite low in terms of people responding. But once you make a connection, that person can also put you in touch with other people if if the conversation goes well, right? So obviously, there's a bit of an amplifier effect there. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's a very serendipitous world, right? Because that person might be the next startup founder or that person might go somewhere else and he or she, if they're really uh, finding this relationship valuable, maybe they become a mentor or uh, they become a coach or who knows, they may become your own employee later on. So I think it's a, you know, it's a very serendipitous world that way on the professional side. And uh, unless you make some of those serendipitous connections happen, it's not going to, you know, come and uh, help you, right? So, yeah, that's absolutely something that, you know, today I do that far more, but uh, I didn't do that as much. You know, the no agenda conversation uh, with someone that you respect or that someone that you want to learn. And at the end of the day, maybe 90% of people are going to say, hey, no, I don't have the time, which is okay. Maybe when they have the time, you know, they will do something. So uh, I think it's been a fascinating learning experience over the last 20 years on all of these different fronts. And, uh, uh, you know, I'm going to learn crazy more in the next 20 years also, and I'm going to fail and I'm going to, uh, try a few things. So I think the concept of risk today is not even a risk. You're going to have failures. You know, in the last 20 years, I think I've had more failures than successes. And uh, it's very easy to put it out there, you know, on all these successful things. But uh, then you will realize that nothing is really a risk after that. Yeah. So if I can summarize your recommendations on career experiments or pivots, you mentioned three things. Number one, 
uh, try consulting you know either as a side hustle or as a full time thing because it gives you exposure into many things in a short time number 2 uh, try to build something uh, earlier in your career uh, whether it's a startup or whatever it may be and then number 3 be brave in reaching out uh, to other people and you know you might you might have a you might have a great conversation but you got to reach out so would that would that be a good summary yeah that would be a, i think a good summary awesome so i know that we went over our uh you know sort of self appointed 20 minutes but this was really rich conversation thank you rajiv and you know obviously you are trying to build your your network and you know founders who are great uh, you know would like to reach out to you so where can people reach you if they want to reach you sure people can just ping me on linkedin and uh, even if i respond slightly slower i'm absolutely uh, i will respond as long as people you know have specific questions and uh, no thank you so much for having me because what you're doing uh, arvin this uh, i think fantastic because i don't think there's great information on what and how i think students should uh, develop their whole careers because i feel it's a you know we have too much of a straight line path in terms of the way we see careers and it's actually not that as much as i made a big story out of it today 20 years later it really is a is a journey it's almost like a map where you're discovering uh, new uh, things and some of it is not going to work out and that's fine but uh, you know it's something that you will discover and it's great that you're doing this for all the people who are graduating uh, and in the next 10 20 years i'm sure you'll you know uh, have fantastic conversations that are going to impact millions of lives so all the best on the podcast and uh, i'm on linkedin and i'm on pretty much all social media if you search for rajiv srivatsa awesome hey this was really helpful rajiv and i'm sure uh, many of our listeners are also going to find this very useful and thank you for the best uh, wishes thank you so much Thank you.